0: Hello, this is Chad from South Dakota. Jordan, Utah.
1: I've been diabetic for about 17 years.
0: Working as a nurse in critical care, I've taken care of a lot of patients who were admitted to the facility because they couldn't afford their insulin.
1: I remember the cost of insulin when I first became diabetic being about $75 to
2: $90
0: a vial. Now it's over $300 a vial without insurance. They would ration how much insulin they would use, and then they would end up in the hospital because of it. In
3: 1923, the patent for insulin was sold for $1. But since then, the price has increased to hundreds of dollars in the U.S. Last week, pharmaceutical giant Eli Lilly announced it's cutting its insulin costs by 70%. According to the Eli Lilly website, this change to out-of-pocket costs is, quote, effective immediately. Here's CEO David Ricks speaking to CNN's Don Lemon. What we uh, could wait for Congress to act or the healthcare
4: system in general to apply that standard, we're just applying it ourselves. Lilly's going to buy down all of our customers' out-of-pocket costs to $35 at the pharmacy counter automatically.
3: The Eli Lilly decision would cap its insulin prices at $35 a month in out-of-pocket spending. Most diabetes patients need two to three vials per month, which can cost up to hundreds of dollars. For some people in the U.S. who are insulin-dependent, this means they've had to ration their insulin or drive to Canada or Mexico to purchase the drug just to be able to afford it. After the break, we get into these costs, why insulin prices in the U.S. have skyrocketed, and how much Eli Lilly's decision will affect people across the country. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more after this short break. Let's begin our conversation by welcoming Joseph Merritt. Joseph joins us from Vermont. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes last year. Joseph, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So how were you diagnosed with diabetes?
0: So I originally was a type 2 diabetic and um, it got out of control and landed me in the hospital uh, with pancreatitis and my pancreas no longer produces insulin now. So now I'm a type 1 diabetic who requires insulin twice a day.
3: How have you had to financially adjust since being diagnosed?
0: Well, I've had to, uh, I pay about $300 for my insulin a month. Um, I don't have insurance. And I've had to ration my insulin and cut the dosage in half um, just to be able to afford it. How much insulin
3: are you supposed to use a day?
0: I'm supposed to use um, twice what I'm using. Um, I'm supposed to be using about 60 milligrams a day. Um, I'm only taking 30 in the morning. Um, And I've noticed a big difference in how I feel, my energy levels, uh, my feet will often go numb, and my vision gets blurry on a daily basis.
3: So does Eli Lilly's move to reduce the cost of their insulin help you at all? Um, I hope that it does. I
0: need to talk to my primary care physician about it, but um, my doctor is unaware that I'm only taking half my dosage. Um, I don't think he'd be too happy with that. But also, he's not able to pay for it for me, so um, I'm kind of left without a choice here. If they they produce the long-acting insulin, which I take, then, yeah, that'll help me tremendously.
3: That's Joseph Merritt. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes last year. Joseph, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you. Have a good one. I want to bring two new voices into the conversation now. Aaron Kowalski is the CEO of JDRF. That's a global type 1 diabetes research and advocacy organization. He also has type 1 diabetes. Aaron, welcome to 1A. Thanks for having me. And Dr. Vincent Rajkumar. He's editor-in-chief at the Blood Cancer Journal and an oncologist at the Mayo Clinic. He's been following prescription drug prices in the U.S. for several years. Dr. Rajkumar,
1: welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jen.
3: So, Aaron, we just heard from Joseph there that he's only taking half of his prescribed dose of insulin. What effect does it have on someone in the long term?
2: Well, I know it's uh, very bad uh, and it's unacceptable, honestly. Uh, high blood sugar, whether it's in the form uh, comes from type one or type two diabetes or any form of diabetes, damages your body uh, and it damages it quite a bit. Diabetes is the leading cause of blindness in the United States, kidney failure, nerve damage, and heart damage. So uh, it's just completely unacceptable to have people rationing insulin um, for cost.
3: Give us sort of a a level set here. When we talk about type 1 and type 2 diabetes, what's the difference?
2: Sure. So, uh, type one diabetes is a form of the disease. It goes back into ancient times. And I think this is a kind of an interesting relevant side note that the term that you, you may hear, hear sometimes is diabetes mellitus and the origin of those words are siphon and sweet. And because in ancient times, people would be wasting away and dying. And, uh, you know, the equivalent of physicians back then noticed that their urine was sweet. And what we know is the lack of insulin is fatal. So you mentioned in the early 20s, uh, insulin was patented. It was a Nobel Prize winning discovery. Before that, everybody who had type 1 diabetes died, and hence this Mm -hmm. problem. So this is a form where the immune system attacks the cells that make insulin. It's autoimmune. Type 2 diabetes is a metabolic form of the disease. It comes in... Uh, you you kind of can get there in a number of different ways but the bottom line is your body makes insulin at least initially and but doesn't process it uh, properly for 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 simplification uh, purposes and what that means is in both forms you get high blood sugar and high blood sugar again is extremely bad for your body
3: Dr. Rajkumar we we heard from Joseph that he's not sure this change by Eli Lilly will mean anything to him he he takes Atlantis that's made by Sanofi. How big is Eli Lilly's role in the U.S. insulin market?
1: Um, three insulin manufacturers, Eli Lilly, Novo Nordisk, and uh, Sanofi control like most of the market, 80, 90% of the market. They make the short-acting analog insulins as well as the long-acting ones. And so there is, a, in effect, a monopoly that's led to these high prices. The the caller-specific questions, two of them, one is like rationing insulin for an insulin-dependent diabetic, type 1 diabetic, is not just a long-term problem. It could cause fatal problems very quickly and someone would not even know about it. So it's something we highly... we. Strongly recommend no one does that. Um, Eli Lilly's announcement is uh, multifold, of which one of them is that they will make a Lantus biosimilar as well, and that's going to be available very shortly, I think April 1st. Um, It's um, granted interchangeability so that even if the physician prescribes Lantus, someone uh, at the pharmacy level could switch it to the Eli Lilly biosimilar, which will be Resvoglar. And that's the same insulin, Glargine, and it will, according to their press release, will cost 78% lower than Lantus. So you can get $92 five packs. So I hope it really helps, uh, Jordan.
3: I just want to make sure that we're clear. Lantus is a long-acting insulin. And when you say it, the term you used was biosimilar, you just mean the insulin that's similar to the formula of the other insulin. Uh, You know, insulin isn't the only product that people with diabetes use to maintain their health, Aaron. What other products do people need and and how do those costs add up?
2: Diabetes is costly. Um, We use blood sugar monitors. That's the other key uh, component to managing uh, uh, diabetes, uh, certainly on the front line, Uh, to to really use insulin properly. Insulin can kill you. Uh, And it's this one drug that people, lay people use on a daily basis to, to keep themselves alive. A little too much can cause hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, not enough, causes high blood sugar. So it's a balancing act. We've seen amazing advances on that front with uh, the advent of what are called continuous glucose monitors. You'll see TV commercials for these technologies. So now they give you real-time information in your blood sugar, whereas when I grew up and my brother, who also has type 1, we used to poke our fingers quite a bit, uh, but those were little blips of data throughout the day. So the the, the technology has been a great advance, also adds costs. The one thing I will say about the cost though, is the cost of diabetes getting sick. So Joseph um, not taking his insulin um, can lead to immediate um, effects. Uh, and, The long-term complications, kidney disease costs Medicare about a third of the budget is the estimate. So the maintenance of good glucose control, while there are near-term costs, the long-term costs can be massive, and hence our drive at JDRF to continue to improve care uh, because the cost savings uh, of good care are massive.
3: We got this email from Jessica who says, As a 35-year-old type 1 diabetic for the past 32 years, I have tried all types of insulin delivery devices, shots, pumps, and pens. While the cost of insulin is a problem, and it's great that they're lowering the price and making it more accessible for millions of diabetics, insulin is not the only issue. It's the cost of pens, syringes, and pump supplies. Uh, briefly, Aaron, y- you talked about the long-term health costs of diabetes and, and not treating your diabetes properly, but for someone um, like Joseph, who is in a situation where you know, he's working two jobs, he's working 55 hours a week, and he still cannot afford the amount of insulin he needs. I mean, he's sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. What do you say to someone like that?
2: I mean, to me, nobody should choose between food or rent or a car payment and insulin. You, you, you die without insulin. I mean, this is, it's almost an absurd discussion. Uh, So what we've been doing is working on Capitol Hill. Uh, We've been working with the manufacturers. You may have seen JDRF joined a syndicate of other like-minded organizations to fund an organization called Civica to make insulin available at just above cost.
3: And just to clarify, Aaron, what is Civica?
2: Sure. So this is a really unique not-for-profit company based out of Utah who started as an organization making... generic drugs available to hospital systems that were uh, ending up in short supply. And one of their founders uh, comes from a family who had three brothers with type 1 diabetes. Unfortunately, one passed away due to diabetic complications, tragically. And we, uh, JDRF, the Helmsley Charitable Trust, another leading uh, diabetes organization, and a number of others, uh, are funding a project to make bioequivalent insulins available essentially just above cost. There will be uh, bioequivalent Lantus, the long-acting version of, of insulin that's commonly used, as well as Novolog and Humalog, two sh- commonly used short-acting insulins.
3: Dr. Rashkumar, since Eli Lilly has been in the news, the story of that initial insulin patent being sold for a dollar, it's, it's been noted all over. So why are people in the U.S. paying hundreds of dollars for a vial of this drug?
1: Yeah, I think that's a very, very good question. And insulin is a symptom of a very large prescription drug pricing problem in the U.S. As you note, uh, you know every single prescri- new prescription drug is expensive. Every new cancer drug is a hundred thousand dollars or more per year. So this is a long-standing problem, and it goes back to when I wrote a paper. The first and the most important problem is that. Uh, we have a, uh, for the high cost of insulin. Is that we have a vulnerable population that requires insulin to live mm-hmm. um, without insulin, um, they will die. And that population will pay any price to get insulin. Combine that with a monopoly where a few companies have insulin and there is no law that prevents price increases. Price of insulin has gone that for the same exact insulin from like $25, $30 to $300 plus. And that's over a 20, 25-year period. It's just gradually increasing because there is nothing that prevents the price increase. And um, the other problem is that, you know, it's not a problem. It's a good thing that even though insulin was discovered in 1921, it's been steadily improved. And um, people have made long-acting insulins, protamine insulins, recombinant insulin, and now analog insulins. These are good, but the same analog insulins that were made in 2000 are, are the one, and sold for $25 are the ones that we are paying so much more for, like 10 times more and 10 times more than other countries. Mm. It's a good thing that all these companies have been taken to task. Public awareness is so high that not, and there's so much pressure that the actions of Eli Lilly and I hope other insulin manufacturers follow And lower the price to something more reasonable that patients can afford.
3: But just to be clear, Dr. Rajkumar, we're talking about millions of Americans affected by diabetes who need this drug, as has been stated multiple times, to live. They need the right amount of the drug to avoid long-term health complications can you help us understand why, if we've seen this, the price of this drug increasing over the last 20 years or so, why there hasn't been congressional action or some sort of intercession before now? And, and we also have to say, Eli Lilly made this change voluntarily. This was a result of them making the decision to lower the cost of their drug, which means that was always on the table.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you're right. There are 30 million or more people with diabetes in the U.S., 25% of those require insulin. 1.3 million have type 1 diabetes, where even a few doses you miss, you can end up uh, losing your life. So this is a very, very serious problem. Nothing's been done because it's so difficult um, without actual congressional action to change. We don't negotiate prices in the U.S., We don't have any laws that prevent until at least recent the Inflation Reduction Act to prevent price increases. Um, We uh, allow monopolies, and we allow monopolies to prolong their patent life almost indefinitely by filing patent after patent so that there's um, very little competition that can enter. Um, We have um, a whole system of middlemen, all of whom benefit from a high price. It's a 10% of $300 is much better than 10% of $25. So everyone except the patient benefits from a high price. It requires quite a bit of changes. um, And um, uh, oftentimes when you need, when multiple parts are broken, uh, almost nothing gets done because everyone is blaming the other person.
3: We got this question from Gretchen, who emailed, why do Americans carry the largest share of prescription medicine costs as opposed to citizens in other countries? Dr. Rajkumar, is that a question you can answer for us?
1: Yes. Um, In the U.S., uh, drug approval by the FDA is is a step, and as soon as that is approved, a drug can be priced at whatever price uh, pharmaceutical companies feel is appropriate. Uh, In other countries, drug approval is only the first of two steps. Drug approval is followed by a negotiation for the company over a fair price. And that negotiation sometimes takes a few months or a year, but it ensures that their citizens pay what is reasonable. You cannot charge unreasonable amounts because of that second step. We don't have that. Um, the, the, The inability of Medicare to negotiate for prescription drug prices has allowed pharmaceutical companies to increase prices at will and also set the prices very high at launch. Uh, So we end up paying more. It's not like the others are taking advantage of us, but we are not taking advantage of the system. When we grant monopoly protection to a company, we have to protect our citizens by making sure that prices are reasonable and cannot be increased at will.
3: Aaron, in the interest of transparency, a small portion of JDRF's funding does come from the pharmaceutical company Eli Lilly, about 0.45%. What are the relationships between pharmaceutical companies and research organizations like JDRF?
2: Yeah, I think this goes back to your last point about the evolution of insulin and the cost and why we are where we are. We have seen, I just want to be really clear, incredible advancements in insulin. When my brother and I started, we used cow and pig insulin. We now use human recombinant insulins that are immensely better. I think from a GDREP perspective, what we want to make sure is if drugs are off patent, they should come down in price. And this has been the problem, that these drugs are off patent. They they are going up in price, which defies normal um, competitive market logic, and hence our incredible fight to drive these costs down. That said, anybody in your audience, myself included, um, knows that type one diabetes and insulin dependent diabetes is still incredibly difficult to manage. And JDRF's goal is to improve that management. So just for you and the audience, we measure uh, glucose control by a, a metric called the A1C. That's your average glucose over a three month period. The average American Less than uh, 20% of people get to goal right now with today's tools. So we continue to rely upon companies to drive innovative new options, new insulins. Ultimately, I believe cures to the market and hence our work with with Lilly and other companies because diabetes is not where it needs to be. It's still a tremendous burden to live with. And the insulins we're talking about need to be... Uh, made antiquated so we have better treatments for the disease.
3: Aaron, so Eli Lilly's decision will apply to people who are insured and people who are uninsured. But if you're uninsured, you go through this um, Lilly Insulin Value Program on their website. How practical is that process for people who need it? I
2: think this is what we need to see. There have been... uh, uh, programs out there. I think they help a number of people, but when push comes to shove, it has to work when you need your insulin. And that is a real life um, challenge. Sometimes I, I I sometimes tell the story of forgetting my insulin and people would say, how can you forget your insulin? That happens. You have a life, uh, when my daughter was graduating college. And when you're, when you're confronted with like having a half an hour window to get, um, insulin, uh, I I just paid, I had to pay out of pocket and I was, I can go through a process. So they have to be practical. People with diabetes live lives. Uh, diabetes is not the entire life. It's, uh, this chronic, um, background, um, challenge that we face. And, and I commend Lily for, for making this move. Hopefully the other companies will follow, but ultimately we need to make sure that people, uh, can get the insulin when they need it and not have to dig into their wallets for uh, dollars that they shouldn't be.
3: Dr. Rajkumar, again, Eli Lilly made this move voluntarily, but without government regulation, what's to say they won't just raise insulin prices again? And, And without that regulation, why should we expect any other pharmaceutical company to follow suit?
1: Exactly. So, it's the same insulin that went from 25 to 300 that they're lowering back to 25. So, the the same hand that is able to increase the prices and lower it can increase it up again. So, while I applaud Eli Lilly's move, it is one company, one product, and we have a bigger problem than that. As I said before, insulin is just a symptom of a bigger prescription drug price problem, and we need to solve those by, you know, Medicare negotiation, by... By really having good patent laws so that patent ca- cannot be prolonged, indefinitely, new patents on the same drugs, to, to reform the middleman system, so that there, there are no there's transparency, and there's not like all these rebates um, which prevent uninsured and underinsured patients from getting the care that they need. That was Dr. Vincent Rajkumar. He's
3: editor-in-chief at the Blood Cancer Journal and an oncologist at the Mayo Clinic. He's been following prescription drug costs in the U.S. for several years. And Aaron Kowalski, CEO of JDRF, a global type 1 diabetes research and advocacy organization. Thanks to you both for joining us. We'll hear more about the effect of drug prices on Americans after the break. Stay with us. let's get back to our discussion on drug costs in the U.S. And I want to bring in two new voices. Rachel Dyer is one of the directors of the documentary Pay or Die. It's about the cost of insulin in the U.S. It's premiering at the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin this week. Rachel, welcome. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. Also with us, Dr. Utibe Essian, an assistant professor of medicine at UCLA. Utibe, welcome.
4: Thanks so much for having me,
3: Jen. So, Drug costs hit uninsured people the hardest, but you just did some research on how insured people are affected by the prescription co pays. how did that change the way people took the medications they were prescribed? Absolutely.
4: So, this was a study of about 83,000 uh, patients with diabetes who are insured by commercial insurance and Medicare Advantage plans. And we weren't looking at insulin. We were looking at some of the newer uh, diabetes medications, which are even more costly than insulin, if you can imagine that. And we saw what was really striking, that patients who had the highest level of medication co-pays, which are about $50 a month, we're thirty-three to fifty percent less likely to consistently take these medications, and I think the stories we've already heard this hour support those data. Uh, but it's really quite striking again to see those findings—just um, how less likely you are to take your medications with a copayment, even as low as fifty dollars a month.
3: Mm, and and when we connect that to the longer-term health issues that that come from not taking insulin. Properly, I mean, it it just seems that you are. You're, you're, I guess that price tag is growing um, over time because you're likely going to have higher costs associated with your health because your health is deteriorating. Am I am I thinking about that correctly?
4: That's exactly right. You know, insulin is one of the medications to manage diabetes, but as others have mentioned, these complications with long-term poorly managed diabetes result in uh, cardiovascular disease, which leads to another list of medications, kidney disease, which leads to another list of medications. And you can imagine paying $35 to $50 to $200 a month for each of these pills. Patients who are uninsured, insured, or otherwise are really going to... To struggle at the pharmacy to be able to keep up with the costs.
3: Let's go back to our inbox.
4: I'm a type
0: one diabetic and I use insulin and I calculated my uh, cost uh, per year for uh, insurance and premiums as a fully insured employed person. And it costs me about uh, $12,000 a year just to remain healthy and take my insulin and that's with full insurance and all that. So yeah, so that's like a very nice used car every two years just to have diabetes in America.
3: Thanks for that message. Rachel, what prompted you to make Pay or Die that this documentary about how people's lives are affected by the cost of insulin?
5: Yeah, of course. So You know, I, um, as a documentary filmmaker, began as a journalist and had um, looked at a lot of different Americans who are called medical refugees and are seeking medication from alternate sources in other countries around the world. Um, So I met Scott, who is also our um, director on the film. He is a type one and was diagnosed at the age of 19 while he was at college, which is already within itself a difficult time of transition transition for a lot. of um, these students. Um, we came together and I told him of the story of um, Americans traveling to Canada and elsewhere to go and get their life-saving medication. So we embarked on this journey to see if it, were, what, if it was really possible and to put that into perspective for us. So we traveled there and Scott explains For him, it was like a kid in a candy shop. Mm. He was presented with a whole lot of um, insulins, both long and short acting, which, as you heard Quinn say, um, in the States, you might not even be allowed to take a certain type because it doesn't fall under your insurance, even if that is something that works better for you and your body. Uh, so he was presented with with all of these insulins and the pharmacist there just said, what can we do to help? What can we do to get you the medicine you need um, while you're here? And he welled up with tears and cried because he said it was the first time that he felt um, recognised and seen as a human. And then this was followed by anger because he doesn't feel that way in his own country. Um, and it was at that moment we looked at each other and said, we have to make this documentary and tell the stories of like all of these people like we've heard in this past hour of the stark reality they're faced with every day.
3: Well, we're hearing from some of you, Annie Meldas I do not want to take away from the light on the insulin issues, but the issues with asthma medications are similar. I have purchased my medication from Canada as the cost is less than half of what I pay in the U.S. And another of you texted us this, I have had insurance and still paid over $1,000 for one month of supplies. Of course, I rationed it to last two or three months, same as everyone else. Ask a congressperson to ration medical supplies. They will laugh. Rachel, when you were filming Pay or Die, to what lengths did people go to afford their insulin or just get their hands on insulin?
5: Yeah, I mean, this was, I think, one of the shocking realities that we um, did uncover through our research and we showcase in the film is that, um, as as we've heard before from um, the other speakers on, on this segment, that people are rationing their insulin because they cannot, simply cannot afford it. This is Results in death in the most traumatic cases, and we see this as we follow um, Nicole Smith Holt and her husband as they um, follow the uh, become activists after after the death of their son Alec, who was forced to ration his insulin only and passed away only three weeks after coming off his parents' health health insurance at the age of 26, um, which is another stark reminder of um, you know a lot of people within this age bracket who have this terrible trajectory ahead of them of having to try and decide and find out how are they going to find their life-saving medication. Um, so it we yeah, uncover rationing um, people traveling traveling to across the border to Canada and you know and in some cases um, reaching out to fellow type 1 diabetics in member groups and they're sharing um, expired insulin uh, just you know these are the dramatic lengths that people are going to to, to stay alive would you be, I just,
3: I have to ask you from your perspective as a physician, you know, we, we heard from our listener earlier in the hour, Joseph, who is taking about half of the insulin he's supposed to take. And he said he, he hasn't told his doctor because he knows his doctor is upset. Just as a physician, how does it make you feel that we're talking about millions of people in this country who cannot afford life-saving medication? Yes,
4: absolutely. And so this was exactly what I was hearing as a primary care resident training in East Boston. You know, the majority of my patients were coming in with challenges managing their diabetes, and you know, they felt some of them felt comfortable to share that they had to ration their medications, like our, um, um, Joe mentioned earlier. Others would not tell us until we realized, like, wow, these diabetes numbers keep getting higher, but we keep raising their insulin levels. Why, why is there a disconnect here? And that's really why my colleagues and I came up with this theme of Pharmaco equity that we have to ensure that everyone has access to life-saving medications. It's not just about um, insulin and diabetes, but as was mentioned by the earlier caller, whether it's asthma or cancer, like we heard about earlier, we have to make sure that folks can survive in this country if they need medications. And it's so crushing to hear stories like Joe's that they're having to ration their medications. Um, but sometimes it really feels as physicians like myself, like there's nothing that we can really do we really haven't been trained to have these heartfelt meaningful conversations with our patients about how can you actually afford your medications. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, before Eli Lilly's announcement, the Inflation Reduction Act put a $35 cap on insulin through Medicare Part D. And so for people who might not be aware, Medicare Medicare Part D helps cover the cost of prescription drugs. It's optional and it's only provided through private insurance companies approved by the federal government. However, Part D is offered to everyone who qualifies for Medicare. Utibe, how could government involvement in, in regulating drug prices have a ripple effect on other drug, drug costs, so if they intervene in insulin, could we see an impact, for instance, on asthma medications?
4: Absolutely. This is my hope. You know, we wrote a little bit about how um, this act is really going to help us improve access um, overall in the country and especially for the most um, vulnerable populations here in the U.S. So we do believe that there is going to be a ripple effect from the insulins for Medicare to insulin to commercially insured folks like we're seeing with the Eli Lilly report to other therapies that don't have a generic option available. And because of that remain so high cost for so. Many patients. Um, that $35 cap on insulin is one key measure in the Inflation Reduction Act. The other is that they set a $2,000 cap per year on all medication copays. And so, again, if you have a $500 copay a month for one of your diabetes medications, by April, you no longer have to pay copays for your medication. So those are two huge policies that are coming down the pike through the Inflation Reduction Act and like you mentioned Jen, hopefully will ripple down to other medications.
3: One of you shared this with us. I lost my brother in December. I am sure that he did not use enough insulin due to cost. One should not have to be wealthy to be healthy. Rachel Before Pay or Die, you were a journalist and and you covered medical refugees. You, You talked a bit about people crossing over into other countries to get their medications. Just how common is that?
5: Unfortunately, as I d- discovered, it is all too common um, in the country of America, and again, something that I just find shocking. As you can hear, I'm on a, an Australian that lives here now, um, and also half Canadian. So, to witness the lengths that people are going in this country to try and um, source their life-saving medication and medication that they need on a daily basis um, is just, you know, outrageous, quite frankly, and and a real shock. Um, And this film, Pay or Die, it does look specifically at um, insulin and access to insulin because that is the tip of the iceberg in this story. People who have type 1 diabetes... Have, cannot survive without this life-saving medication. So we are looking at this as kind of the dramatic, most dramatic case of medicines that need to be sourced by these people. But as as um, some of our speakers have said before, and Dr. Ute, that it isn't just insulin that is at stake. There are so many other medications that people in this country simply cannot afford. So the purpose of this film is to educate and um, to send a message to ensure sure that not only insulin becomes affordable, but price care within America does become affordable. Rachel, after
3: speaking with people who've lost their homes, lost loved ones, just seeing their lives turned upside down because of
5: insulin costs, what do you make of Eli Lilly's decision? I mean, as as we have heard earlier um, with the guests you've had on this show, I do commend Eli Lilly for coming out and making this announcement. But as, as Dr. Rajkumar alluded to earlier, we still need to have congressional change to ensure that these laws are passed and prices can't be raised again by these pharmaceutical by by all of the pharmaceutical companies um, when they desire or when they choose to. It's why, you know, pay or die is such a vital tool um, as a documentary and we need to get this message out there because the film is putting the human faces to... All of these um, issues surrounding access to affordable insulin so people can understand and relate to them even if they don't have type 1 diabetes and require insulin you can relate to a mother and parent who have lost their son Mm -hmm. due to access or uh, parents who have had to become homeless Um, you know again we just need to ensure that affordable medication needs to be a basic human right within reach for all Americans.
3: That's Rachel Dyer. She's one of the directors of the documentary film Pay or Die. It's about the cost of insulin in the U.S., and it's premiering at the South by Southwest Film Festival in Austin this week. Also with us, Dr. Uti Bayesian. He's an assistant professor of medicine at UCLA. Today's producer was Jorhalina Manarea. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing your stories with us. And we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A.